I want to welcome everyone to today's edition of Citizens Gone Wild. It's a good day for a podcast because we have a truly special guest who's going to speak about something of real importance. Um, the title of the article was, uh, what is the title of the article? Two tsunamis are coming towards higher education. That's it. Two tsunamis that. are coming. <laughs> or two tsunamis are coming toward higher education, and this is one of those times when real tsunamis are coming toward higher education, and it's especially going to be interesting because if there's one thing higher education does not know about, it's any change. Um, they are more resistant than the uh, I don't know what to any sort of change, yet they're going to be forced to change. And um, if you know anyone who's a parent, or if you're a parent who's listening, you should definitely tune into this. And if you miss it when it's done right now, you can catch it later on on Citizens Going Wild. Andrew Giller, is a person who's been involved in researching and uh, improving higher education for years and years. He uh, was um, a senior policy analyst for a group called Innovation in Education, and he's now a senior policy analyst for Texas Public Policy Foundation. I'm not sure if I just named the same thing twice or not, but. Uh, the important point is that what you're going to hear now is something that very few people know about, and you can be amongst those who knew, know when these tsunamis are going to hit. Um, Mr. Giller, could you go ahead and explain what these two tsunamis are and why they are tsunamis? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so as, as sort of background, Back in November of last year, the Department of Education released earnings and debt data by program for the first time ever. Um, and so, so what, what do we mean by that? that? That basically means that you can look up how much say, an accounting major at Rutgers earns. Um, and, and so this is the first time this data has ever been available. There, there have been other organizations like Payscale that tried to um, collect this information through surveys, but you never really knew who's responding to the survey. And so there's always kind of a question about the, the accuracy of this data. Uh, whereas the Department of Education's data uh, on, on earnings, it's coming directly from the Department of the Treasury. So, so it's being um, kind of from, from IRS uh, uh, tax data. Uh, and so the the quality of this data is just just much much better than anything we've ever seen before. Seen scope of it is so much broader. Um, and so unless there's unless the program has too few graduates, either they want to protect the the graduates earning privacy, um, we have data for every program in the country. Um, and so, so this is just a um, kind of a, a revolutionary change in uh, in kind of the the data available to to higher education. And so, the the article I wrote, the the two tsunamis piece, it basically said, okay, well, we we'd basically been 
basically been playing like pin the tail on the donkey. Like we're blindfolded. We're trying to find a college. We don't really know what we're doing. And we're just kind of pinning tails on, on the donkey blindly. Um, and, and the effect of this new data is to basically remove the blindfold. Um, and so now we, we can make much better decisions uh, as students, as parents, and as university administrators about what degrees are actually worth it for students. Um, which degrees are overpriced, which degrees uh, we need to expand because they're, they're such a great job for their students. Um, and so, so I, I really do think that these, these kind of two tsunamis are coming. And so what are these two tsunamis? Uh, so the first one is just more informed consumer choice. Um, and so students and parents now, it, it's, not, it's no longer enough to say, oh, should I go to college or should I not go to college? It's should I go to this particular college and major in this particular major? And you can now get data on, on the earnings and debt of students who did that uh, before you uh, to help inform your decision. Uh, now, that doesn't mean you're never going to go to a low earning major with high debt. It just means you're going to go in with your eyes open. Uh, and so if you go into, say, art history or, or, or a field that traditionally has low earnings, uh, that's fine if that's what you really want to do. It's just you're no longer going to be surprised that, oh, my goodness, the, the labor market uh, is, is very poor for, for these particular jobs and I've got a lot of debt. Um, and so, so that's really the first tsunami is just kind of this more informed consumer choice. And that'll have a, a, a very uh, strong disciplinary and, and accountability uh, implications for the universities themselves. Uh, but the second tsunami I think that is going to be be hitting higher education as well is government accountability mechanisms. Uh, so now that we have this data, uh, state governments and the federal governments, they can make much more informed uh, choices about where their their state funding and their their uh, their federal funding is going, uh, and so maybe if you've got programs that and I've found over ten thousand programs that fail a, a kind of a, a decent um, debt to earnings test, um, why should the federal government be providing federal financial aid to students in those ten thousand programs? Um, we should, maybe the federal government should should start uh, should start weaning those those programs off federal financial improve, uh, and state governments can make the exact same decision because uh, they state governments actually provide a lot of funding directly to universities, and so they can start uh, imposing some restrictions on on what programs universities are allowed to to use that funding for, and so those those are really the two tsunamis that I think are coming towards higher education. So more informed consumers. And government accountability. I, I wanted that are, to mention that, something. That'll be implemented in the near future. I wanted to mention one thing. Near my, where I live, there's a good community college, but they always seem to be playing catch up with where the students want to be. Um, for a long time now, the students knew that there were good jobs in uh, healthcare at all levels. And yet you can have as much as a half a year or even a year waiting list for people wanting to get into these, uh, the classes that will lead to a degree that will allow them to live a, you know, a dignified uh, family supporting life. And uh, this might change things. Hopefully it will change things if word gets around. I don't know. We're in a small town and I don't know if the people who run the community college have any awareness of this. But um, by the way, I noticed this happening also when I was teaching full-time 
at um, regular four-year colleges, that it would be the students who would show up somewhere and all of a sudden the professors and the administration were saying, why are all these people showing up over here? What should we do? Uh, and they eventually would catch up until the next wave. But with something like this, for once, if the uh, administrators are so inclined, they can be there ahead of time, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I, th I think this data leads to a lot better decision making uh, by, by university administrations and, and university leadership. Um, the one the one caveat I will kind of throw out there is that because this data is based on students who graduated and then started working, uh, it is a bit delayed. Um, and so so the, the data we're looking at right now, we first graduated in 2014 or 2015 and then earned money in 2015 and 2016. Um, and so so it is a little bit delayed. So I'm hoping that in future iterations, the department's able to, to kind of uh, shorten that that time scale. Um, because because right now, if you've got a new hot field, say say the coronavirus sparks a lot of interest in you know some some biology degree, um, the that's not going to show up in our earnings and debt data for a few years, um, and so the the the, the, the there will be a slight lag uh, b before university administrations can re can really benefit from this. But having said that. Uh, university administrations can look at other similar institutions elsewhere and see what they're doing. And so if, if, you're, if your local community college has, uh, has, has kind of this biology program and it's not doing very well, uh, but a neighboring uh, a state college with a similar biology program that's doing very well, you can sort of say, okay, well, what are they doing different? Is it just their job, their labor market's different? Uh, maybe the hospitals in that area are hiring more or something, uh, or maybe there's differences in quality of the programs. Um, and so, so it can be a very useful diagnostic tool, even though it is delayed. And uh, I, I would hope some politicians uh, would get a hold of this as well. Um, lately in New Jersey, we've decided that everyone deserves to be called a university. Now, to be called a university, there are certain technical aspects that that you have, and one of them is you need graduate programs. And we have ended up with, um, in my opinion, too many graduate programs in the area of public policy analysis. And the, the number of jobs is fairly small in this area. And yet, you have people going to school thinking they're going to be working out the next, I don't know, educational system in the United States, and it just isn't true. Now, I fault the administration for this, but now the student and their parents will have a way to counter what this idea is, and I, I hopefully a lot of children will uh, at least once listen to their parents or at least if they don't listen to their parents look at the computer screen to see what is happening out there um, there's another area um, you know that uh, that is important you you gave a separate uh, section of your uh, essay to uh, law I happen to know someone very well who's a bloody fortune my son 
And um, <laughs> and uh, the thing is, you know, law was touted for a long period of time, and it was touted after the time when people in the know knew that things weren't like they used to be. It used to be you graduated in the law and you were made for the rest of your life. It was just like becoming a doctor. But this stopped, but the schools, the law schools didn't stop. They continued to tout what a swell place they are and the type of life that you'll live uh, once you become a lawyer. And they would have, the, they have these slick books um, and they would have, you know, a, a little portrait, of, a picture of someone who's become a very successful lawyer. And, and that's true. But they didn't have much of a picture, which could have been a group picture, of all the lawyers who owed a bloody fortune <laughs> and were not, I mean, they weren't starving to death on the streets, but they certainly weren't making enough money to pay back the loan and live a middle-class life at the same time. Um, uh, this is one reason why I think this is going to be a real tsunami. And uh, people who should be... Um, slapped around lightly will be slapped around lightly am i being too harsh on these people <laughs> no no i don't think i don't think you are at all uh, i think you're i think you're exactly right like i i distinctly remember when i was graduating from college many many moons ago um if you the the the, the folks who didn't know what they wanted to do they were just like oh well i'll go to law school yeah it, it was kind of like the safe default option right um and i don't think that was the case back then but it's certainly not the case right now uh and and as you mentioned we we looked at um kind of law programs specifically in in the the, the essay that i wrote um and so we have data on about 200 law uh throughout the country uh and over 150 of them fail this debt to income test. Uh, and so what that means is that their, their graduates are not realistically making enough money to, to repay back their debt. Um, and so if you look at the, the kind of percentages of students, over two thirds of students are going to these programs that fail their students. Um, and so the question that immediately springs to mind is, okay, well, why do these 150 programs and these two thirds of students like, why are we, we spending this much money on these on these programs that are that are producing predictably bad outcomes? Um, and so. So, yeah, law is a, is a great example of where I'm really um, optimistic that this data will really open people's eyes, because uh, if you're a student going to one of one of these hundred and fifty programs, um, you really got to start asking questions about whether that decision. And if you so if you're already enrolled. Uh, if you're close to graduation, maybe maybe kind of stick with it. But but if you're a potential student who's just applying and you're applying to one of these 150 programs, you really need to ask yourself a, a, a question about what distinguishes you from from these students that are, that are failing left and right. Exactly. When I was um, a full time professor and advising students, I got a bunch that wanted to go to law school, and they often couldn't get into a, a a law school or even a B law school, and we're going to end up going to a C law school. And I would try and um, tell them uh, some of the, the pitfalls of doing something like that, because the C law schools tend to charge as much as the B law schools. 
And uh, you have to worry about that sort of thing. Let me ask you, there's another area I'm interested in. Um, there have been a ton of people going into the medical fields, uh, not just doctor, dentist, but all of the levels of, um, I don't know, technicians. Nursing. Nursing, RAs, yes. PAs. PAs. Yeah. And um, uh, even, what do you call it, like technicians, the person who actually tells you to lay down on that cold x-ray table. Um, and uh, I, I've, I've seen something very strange. I've talked to people, and I visit the hospital fairly frequently. I'm an old guy. And um, I was talking to this guy who was an x-ray technician and, and talking to him about how, he, you know, what he majored in and why he thought it would be a good thing. And I also asked him what he earned. Well, it turns out that a lot of the people being hired now are not hired full-time. They're hired per diem, which means, one, you don't know when you're going to work, and you don't get benefits. Now, they give them fairly good pay, uh, I guess, around 50000 but which sounds like a lot of money to a single person. But when, you, when you're trying to raise a family on that, you better have two people who are x-ray technicians. Yeah. And um, would this help with things like that? In other words, would a person be able to go on the site and, and see, well, they have this benefits, but they don't have those benefits or something like that? Uh, would a person be able to... The, so to the extent that these, um, these jobs require some sort of degree, um, I think this new data would really help with that. Okay. Um, so if you if you have to go to say the the local community college and get a, a certificate in you know X-ray technician yeah. skills, um, then yes, they would show up in this data, um, and and you could potential X-ray technicians could look at this and say, oh my goodness, um, I'm gonna have you know sixty thousand dollars in debt and 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 only make fifty thousand a, a year. Um, but if to the extent that these um, persons don't require uh, a college degree or certificate or anything like that, um, then they won't be in the data. Okay. Um, and so, so at that point, you'd actually need to rely on sort of just Department of Labor um, surveys of, of various earnings of uh, by by profession. Or you know, we could uh, get the uh, advisors, whether they're professors or high school advisors, or whatever. To uh, they should know about this sort of thing. We should make sure that they tell people about this, because when you're young, you know, you think your body's immortal, yeah. and then as you get older, you realize, well, not quite. And uh, yeah, these people, uh, you know, if, if they don't get medical care, and that's one of the benefits they don't get, then that, that's that, you're talking about real money there, and. Uh, so unless they're in the country illegally and can get it free, uh, I'm not sure exactly what they will do, except maybe show up at their own hospital in the emergency room. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, how long do you think it'll be before most people are aware of this situation? Uh, where the, that is, they'll be aware that there's information on this. 
because the people I've spoken to since I read this article, uh, they have no idea that this is available. In fact, the young man right here with yeah. a beard. I had no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think I think the first big wave of um, awareness will be when students are making enrollment decisions later this spring. Um, so right now, kids are you know applying to colleges, filling out FAFSAs, waiting for acceptance letters, yeah. and so um, until all of that plays out, there's not a whole lot of. Um, urgency in them looking and seeking out this data. Uh, but once students start getting accepted colleges and start, start sort of making decisions about where they want to go, I'm hoping that a lot of students sort of take this information into account. Um, and so there's there's two resources in particular that already have this data available. So there's the, the federal government's college scorecard um, the, it has wait, all this could data. You, could you uh, wait? Already. Wait. Could you repeat that for people that are sitting at a home and looking for a pencil? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so the federal government has a website. It's called uh, the College Scorecard, um, and you can you can look up this this earnings and this debt data uh, by program there. Uh, and then my organization, the the Texas Public Policy Foundation, we've also created a web tool um, that we think is a little bit more user friendly. Um, and so uh, it, it's it's called our, our college earnings and debt by major. Uh, wait, wait, you can find so, it on our, I'm sorry, on our website. But um, just repeat that again. Uh, college. Yeah. So so it's it's, it's on the the TexasPolicy.com website, um, and then so so it's the organization's overall website. And then within that website, we have a, a college earnings and debt by major web tool. Um, and that's that's um, and what we like about that particular uh, uh, web tool is you can sort of uh, filter uh, by say degree type, uh, oh, by man. constitutional control, by state, um, and and that's stuff you can't really do at the college scorecard level. So at the college scorecard level, you have to look up a specific institute and you can find stuff. Uh, whereas with our web tool, you could say, okay, well, show me every every school in Jersey. Um, uh, every uh, say say chemistry program uh, in New Jersey, and so you can you can see all that data uh, in, and that, in, in one screen. Whereas you'd have to look that up individually at the at the government site. Again, that that scores that site is called College Earnings and Debt website. Okay. Uh, so I can let me give you the exact link here. Um, I've got a bookmark. Uh, okay, so it's TexasPolicy.com backslash college-earnings-dash-and-dash-debt. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, College-earnings-dash-and-dash-debt. Wow. That's pretty good. You know, uh, to contrast this with college, uh, when I first started teaching at one of the colleges that I taught at, I wanted to get hold of the mailroom. And I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find it. And finally, someone told me, oh, it's listed under central mail, which your thing says exactly what it is, which uh, leads <laughs> me to think they should hire you to do something like this. Um, 
there's um, something I'm a little concerned about. When, when I think back on the courses that just turned me around and gave me, I mean, just were wonderful, the ones that I remember, <clears throat> they're not always the, I don't know, uh, the the, the uh, courses like Business 101 and things like that. One of my favorite courses was Art History, which was a magnificent course. And I, I still remember the, the professor and what he said. And um, it was the only time I ever felt I understood what art was about. I'm worried if people will just get out of there and just say, okay, we'll do it by the numbers, son. Uh, here, this scored well, this scored well. You learn a living here. Or do you think people will still be able to, like, take these courses they just won't major in art history? So I think I think both. So I think, um, I think students will still sort of take uh, art history and uh, short courses and and um all, all these types of courses because they are generally still sort of like general education requirements for a lot of yes kids. um and so so like I, re I remember reading uh the odyssey and the iliad uh and i was a business major um and so you know why was i doing this well because i had a general education requirement and you know i needed one of you know 20 humanities classes this was one of them it seemed interesting. It fit my schedule, and so so I took that one. And so it's a it's a course that I wouldn't have taken uh, normally, um, and that not every business major did. Um, but it was a really interesting course. Uh, there was a fantastic professor, and and I'm glad I took it. Um, now I don't necessarily want to major in it, but but I still want to you know know a little bit about uh, about you know these these, these ancient texts. Um, and so so I think students will still take. Uh, these these courses, uh, but I do think it will uh, pretty dramatically reduce the the number of students who are who are sort of going into these professions yeah. um, or going into the going into these majors um, to the extent that that students are doing this sort of blindly. Um, and so so the the way I sort of think about it is for you know my entire life the the message has been oh go to college go to college it's it's key to a middle class life. Um, and so a lot of students did that and then they got to college and they're like, okay, well, what do I want to do? Well, let's do art history. Um, and then they were surprised <laughs> when they had, they, they struggled in, in, in the labor market. And so, so I think, I think we'll, we'll start, we'll sort of start giving those students, uh, better information. Um, and that will help them avoid those surprises. And so if art history is your passion in life, by all means, major in it, yeah, and 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 just kind of sort of accept the 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 earnings and that data for what they did. But go to it with with it with your eyes open. The the other thing that I think will happen is that as students sort of move away from from kind of these low earnings professions, um, I think schools will respond by figuring out how to produce these these degrees in a more affordable manner, right? So like, why is the art history major priced the exact same as the the petroleum engineering major? Wow. Like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? No. Like those are very, very different uh, skill sets. The, the teachers that are teaching them have very different labor markets. 
so it may be that you're, you probably are paying the, the, the two professors different amounts, but the, yet the students are charging the exact same for those two, those two uh, uh, fields of study. And so I, I think we'll actually see a lot more schools uh, sort of making their low-earning majors more affordable by, by cutting their tuition uh, for the programs, which I think will help revive uh, kind of interest in them. Well, I hope that, that this, these tsunamis will stimulate some thinking about such matters because basically nothing, there haven't been any new thoughts in higher education in, the, in this area for generations on end. Nothing has changed even though uh, the world has changed and it, boy is it hard to get people to change in higher education. And uh, th maybe this will help. Maybe people will start thinking in these terms. I never thought about that. Why not? You know, or maybe yeah. give a break to yeah. people who are going to become teachers in high school. They could use a break. Um, let's hope. Well, and, and just just to reiterate what the, the point you just made about, you know, higher education being slow to adapt. Like if you, if you think about it, the, the, the last big revolutionary uh, technology in higher education was the the textbook. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that was the last time that that really led to a lot of changes. And that's delivered. a good one. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, I think um, you know when my daughter went to school at a we have a very good state college here, university. But, you know, she just walked into a room. I walked with her, uh, what do dads do? And um, basically she was told to sign up for courses. And, and, there was an, and she even knew what her major was going to be, in this case, history. And yet there was no one to say, well, all right, if you're going to do history, why don't you get started on the core curriculum, take one of those, take these two history courses, that way you'll be sure if this is an area for you, <clears throat> and so on and so forth. No one told her anything. Uh, fortunately, I am a loudmouth father, so I said, uh, could somebody help my daughter get registered? Um, and they did, and it worked out very, very well, but it... Um, I think you're going to have to have more aware people in the colleges who have this sort of information in front of them, and they too should go over it. I hope the high school um, advisory group, whatever they're called, will uh, get involved in things like this as well. Uh, I think you really have something here that's going to be a tsunami tsunami. Um, do you have any areas that you wanted to mention that uh, might be of use to people? Yeah, so I think I think the the most important sort of messages that, that I'd like to convey are one: if you know if you know kind of students or or parents of students who who are kind of in the college application process right now. Um, do them a solid and, and send them this link uh, to, to the web tool, to our web tool, uh, or to the college scorecard. Because um, that, that really is the most important thing, is that students 
are making uh, uh, decisions with their eyes wide open. Um, and so I don't care what those decisions are. I just want them to be more informed. Um, yes, and so, yes. so, you know, do whatever you want to do, but, but let, let, let's limit the, the surprises. Um, and then the second message is, um, we, I, I really want to see what, what accountability would look like at, at the federal and the state level. Um, but I want to be really careful that we don't mess this up. Because uh, we've never we've never really imposed yeah. at the at the federal level we've never imposed accountability on colleges for the labor market outcomes of their students. Um, the the Obama administration very briefly tried to do what was called a gainful employment regulation. Yeah. Um, and so it was basically a a couple of debt term tests, uh, but they really tried to apply it only to the for profits. Um, and so as soon as Trump was elected, they, they threw that out, uh, because, of, because it exempted a lot of the, the public and the nonprofits. Right. Um, but, but that was really the only attempt that we've, we've had at the federal level, at least to, to hold colleges accountable for, for labor market outcomes. Um, and so I, I really want to see accountability mechanisms, but I don't know what the best accountability mechanisms look like. Um, and so do we want to just re, those uh, gainful employment regulations that the Obama administration have and apply them to everybody? Um, do we want to simplify it? So those are actually kind of complex uh, calculations. We could just do a straight debt to income ratio. That would be a little bit more straightforward and, and harder to game. Um, do we want to just have a floor uh, for earnings? So like if a, if a program's graduates don't earn at least Thirty thousand dollars, then they aren't eligible for for federal financial aid. Uh, or do we want to have a debt maximum? So like you you can't have more than you know sixty thousand dollars of debt for 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 a program. Uh, and so so there's a lot of options out there, and I don't think uh, we've thought seriously about how to do this well. Uh, and so I, I I desperately want to see accountability mechanisms, but I just as desperately don't want to see bad accountability mechanisms. It's funny, you're in an area where I was debating whether I should ask this or not. <laughs> uh, you're, but you're, you, you're in the swamp there, so I'll join you. Um, <laughs> I was, okay, what, this sort of thing got started under uh, Obama where they started putting pressure on for-profit schools and they deliberately, I think, drove some for-profit schools out of business. Not to say that some people shouldn't have been driven out and drowned, but um, now I was on the side of those who was angry that um, uh, this effort had just that this effort against for-profit schools had stopped. But now I realize what they what was being asked was perfectly acceptable, which is okay. We'll do this with for profit. Let's do it for state schools, and uh, that's what actually happened here. And I think they didn't get their. I don't know if they have a publicity machine, but uh, they, they sort of lost out. Even to people like me, who very much like. Uh, this what they did, because a lot of people just thought, well, how do you like that? Obama was trying to 
help young people and now Trump comes in and he's going to be hurting them because they'll be going to bad schools. And um, I, I think that whoever does the PR at, uh, I don't know, Department of Education could do a little better job. Not that they need advice from me, but this was perfectly fair. And I didn't know about what they were doing until I came across this information. And then finally your, uh, your essay about that. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah, yeah, no. And it's, it's one of those um, issues that unfortunately comes up all the time in higher education. So like anytime anybody does something, they're accused of hurting students. Uh, um, yeah. oh, <laughs> and so it's sort of like the, the go-to attack line. Yeah. Um, and so, so I, I'm definitely of, of torn emotions because like um, I would have rather seen gainful employment uh, applied to everybody um, rather than get rid of it. Um, but if you're only going to apply it to the for profits, that doesn't seem consistent with the rule of law, right? No. Um, like you don't, you don't get to just pick out your political opponents and apply laws right. collectively to them. <laughs> um, and so, so if, if, if it's for profits only, then I'm fine throwing them out. Uh, but what I, what I really, I, but I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like there, there was a good idea, uh, buried within that. Yes. Uh, which was that we should hold colleges accountability should should hold colleges accountable uh, for for some sort of debt to income ratio uh, of of their of their graduates, um, and so so I'd like to see some version of it brought back and applied to to all of higher education. Um, and oddly enough, so so we've we've done a little looking into into what that would look like. So we we basically took the old regulations and you had to update them a little bit because the the data is a little different. So like there's there's different cohorts of students. They define programs differently. The earnings is de defined differently, and the debts differently. So so we had to adjust the 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 kind of accountability cutoffs uh, slightly. Uh, but when you apply those 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 new cutoffs. Uh, it turns out that the for-profit sector is actually pretty typical uh, performance-wise. Um, so there's actually more private non-profit colleges. Huh. So these are the you know the the colleges that you you, you typically like the, your Rutgers of of, of the world. Yeah. Um, and there's actually more failing programs at, at private non-profit colleges than there are at for-profit colleges, um, wow. which is kind of interesting, right? Because like. The, the message we've all been hearing for, for at least the entire time I've been studying higher education is, oh, well, you know, for-profits, they're, they're greedy and they're, they're unscrupulous and, and you know, all, all the problems in higher education are sort of attributable to, to the for-profits. And it turns out that their performance isn't that different than the, than the private nonprofit sector, wow. um, is, which was surprising. Um, I'm still not sure listening to if that's the case. But I trust you, and I assume it is. Uh, that's well. So I mean, obviously, your your peers, so your Rutgers, your Yales, your yeah. Harvards, your Princeton's, they're they're doing excellent, right? Uh, so they have very few, if any, programs to fail. Right. Uh, but for every one of those colleges, there's a hundred colleges that you've never heard of, right? Um, that are actually struggling. Um, and so, so it's all those colleges that are really uh, sort of driving those numbers. Wow. Um, by the way, I don't know if you have time, but I would like to do another show with you where we talk about that issue. And we also have uh, uh, real people. We have some here in New Jersey. 
and uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, I'd like to have them come and, and ask the the type of questions that a person who's not delved into this area would ask. Like, my son is thinking of going to Rutgers and majoring in engineering. Um, can you give me some information? And meanwhile, you, who actually know how to operate this um, um, this area, would be able to say, well, they will earn $50,000. And uh, upon graduation, and I, I think this would you mind doing something like that? Look up real, um, you know, on time. <laughs> I don't know what we call it, but you would have to look up what do you do if you're majoring in this, and how much would you expect to uh, to do it? That way, people would feel more at ease with this because you are about ten thousand times more at ease with numbers and charts and things than a lot of people are. Uh, would you be willing? Yeah, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. That, okay. that sounds great. And that, uh, the, the only thing that scares me is doing it in real time. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. but, but that's, uh, we'll, we'll call it the policy analyst stress test. Yeah, yeah right. his policy analyst stress test. Yes, um, <laughs> that, would, that would really be great here. And uh, the, the one of the people that owns this little studio that I use in Town, New Jersey, has a girl who's interested in the arts. Now, I don't think she's more than nine or something like that. But, um, well, I hope we don't cause any trouble. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it would be just fantastic. There are very few things lately that give the light to the citizens of this country. This is one of those. Um, so I'll, I want to do some background research myself, so I'm not totally ignorant when we do this sort of thing. Uh, and maybe you could explain, you know, to a person sitting with their own little laptop what the heck they should do. Um, I, I think this is just the wonderful, delightful thing that you guys have done. You deserve a lot of credit. And I would come over with coffee and cake if I lived closer. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you well, thank any, you for the uh, for the sentiment. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, do you have any questions of me or anything, or uh, can we stop for the moment and then I'll call you back for another appointment and we can uh, do some, some more of this in detail? Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Okay. All right, don't change your phone number just to get away from me. <laughs> uh, and uh, all right, I, I thank you very much. Um, it has just been a, one of the more delightful uh, times, and it's been a happy time talking about the government. And when is the last time you've had a happy time talking about the government? So thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's been a while for me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while for about ninety percent of the country, I think. But um, <laughs> anyway, I wanted to thank you. And um, by the way, do you have any college-age children? Uh, I do not. So I have a I have an infant right now. So oh. so college is a little ways off for. for, for oh us. man, you're gonna have an edge over the rest of us. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping everything's fixed by the time he's uh, he's ready for college. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so well, that's uh, I don't know if everything will be fixed, but at least something <laughs> definitely will be fixed. I want to thank you again, 
and I hope to be able to talk to you soon. Okay? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, it was a, a great pleasure. All right. Bye-bye.